Hey, welcome again. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, thank you, Heather Niso, for being here. Thanks for praying. I thought, you got me a water, too. Yep. Thank you. Um, last hour, I was like, this is awesome. Isao was praying. He was thanking God for chicken. That was when my Spanish was not good. And, uh, and my mom's like, no, that's power in, uh, in Spanish. So I'm, I'm learning. I'm growing. So thank you. Well, um, we, uh, we're wrapping up our, uh, our, our, our series on freedom. And, um, and before we do that, I want to share with you a quick little story. When I, when I was younger, and I think most of us when we're younger, we have an overinflated sense of self. When we think of, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? We have like these big dreams. And, you know, if you had good parents, they said, you can be whatever you want. And like, so I want to be whatever I want. And I kind of had two things I landed on. I'm like, I either want to be a rock star. That sounds like that'd be pretty great. Or a professional athlete. And there was a season in my life where I'm like, you know, I think I could be a professional athlete. But I realized my doctor told me, he's like, listen, here's the deal, Ben. You're going to be uh, 5'10". And there's not a lot of professional athletes who are 5'10", so I'd always be scouring the television looking for short athletes so I would have a path forward. And, uh, and there's this guy, Nate Robinson. He, uh, he was in the NBA after I graduated from high school, but he's 5'9". This guy is 5'9", and he was drafted uh, to the Bulls. He play, he's played uh, professional basketball for 10 years as a 5'9 guy. And I looked at guys like, guys like Nate Robinson, I'd be like, see, there's a path for me. As a 5'10 man, there's a path for me to play in the NBA. And so I'd watch guys like Nate Robinson, like, okay, that's how it works. But the reality is, is as I would play basketball with my friends, um, I would never get to be picked first or second. I was actually always picked last. And then when, uh, and then when I would go and play, the, the, the direction was basically this. You just do screens. I'm like, what's well, a screen? That just means you stand in front of somebody and block them so that we can play basketball. And that was my job. I, I, was, I, I was a screener for, uh, for basketball. And I would always scratch my head. I'd be like, well, but I'm 5'10". I'm taller than Nate Robinson. Why can I not play basketball? And when you do a little research and you realize Nate Robinson... I mean, he's different than me. His dad is a professional athlete. His dad played professional football. My dad is a 5'6 Jewish guy, right? I'm looking at just pure DNA. Okay, I'm like, okay, th- there's a difference there, right? When I, when, did, I have, did I practice? No, I did not practice. So my skill set was not there. Did I even like basketball? No, it turns out I don't even like basketball, right? So I don't even have a passion for it. Thanks, Danny. I didn't have the skills for it. I didn't have the DNA for it. And so, of course, I am going to struggle leaning into this dream of being a professional athlete because that's not the way that God wired me. And I think so often we look at people and we see the best of people and we try to copy them. We think, I think I wouldn't mind doing that. And we see this one little slice of who they are and we try to mimic them and we end up falling short. And so this idea of freedom, we, we think of what does it mean to be all that God made me to be? Most of the time we look at someone who we admire and we think that's our path. And I found that way when I, when I, when I came to Marin Covenant and get to be on staff with Pastor Art and Pastor Jeff, incredible godly men, incredible deep thinkers and people who love Jesus, who are incredible communicators. And, and I just struggled and I, and I hated having to preach, especially after Jeff. I'm like, I never want to preach that Sunday after Jeff. It's so intimidating. And I spent a few years thinking, well, if I could just get my act together, if I could just form and copy what he's doing, then I will get to be the most full version of myself. And it wasn't until I finally realized through some good friends and counsel in God's grace to go, no, no, no. God's dream for me was not to be a mini version of art or a mini version of Jeff or a mini version of other people who I deeply admire, but to figure out what is the most redeemed, healed, whole version of the unique being that God crafted me to be. And until we figure out what that is, then we will never fully get to live into the freedom that God has invited us to be.
And so this morning, as we uh, have our last Sunday at this, uh, this series on freedom, we're going to have a practicum. A practicum is just a couple how-tos. We've had some great sermons by Pastor Danny and Pastor Jeff about what it means to know and love Jesus, to be free, right? It's for freedom. We've been set free. We're not free from our past. We're free to serve Christ. We have all, I mean, just an incredible picture of what it means to know and love God and to live into this freedom. And this morning, we're just going to look at a couple how-tos, three simple things. If you do these things, you are well on your way to living in freedom. So with all that being said, we're going to start our morning in Romans chapter 12. So if you want to grab a Bible in front of you or take out your phone or device and turn to Romans 12 and we'll jump into it. So Romans 12 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with the Spirit, um, accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. And if it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I love this picture. If we have different gifts according to the grace given to us, and then if we have these gifts, we're supposed to live into them. You've been crafted by God to live a certain way, to figure out what that is, and then to live into it. So in order to do that, there's three things we need to do. And the very first one is kind of a no-brainer for church, that we have to work hard to develop our heart for God. That we will never, ever, even remotely get close to being the people that God longs for us to be unless we just do this first and simple work, which is just position ourselves so that we're moving towards Christ, that we develop a heart for God. I love this passage in the beginning of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, right? It's that we offer our bodies the living sacrifice, that there's this idea that we're intentionally offering our lives in response to God's mercy and God's grace. The whole Christian message is that, that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus loves us. He died for us. He invites us into the family of God. He invites us to be adopted, to be very own children of His That is the invitation. And then we respond by having this faith, by working out a life in Christ, by offering our lives as a sacrifice to Him. I love it. It says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. And so this week I kind of did a little, I did a, a, I did a little bit of a test and I started kind of tallying the amount of times, uh, how much time I spend being conformed to the world. And I would, I mean, I think I'm smarter than being conformed, but I thought I'm smart. I don't get conformed by the world, but it would be interesting to see how much time I spend thinking and doing things that have nothing to do with my walk with God that are just frivolous. And so I come home from work and I'm tired and I end up sitting down on the couch and watch a few episodes that turn into six episodes of The Office because I want to hang out with my kids and we like to laugh. And so now I'm watching The Office for like three whole hours. I know, can you believe that? And then uh, there's like some, uh, a movie on Netflix, uh, I mean, sorry, an HBO Chernobyl just came out. So I watched Chernobyl. I'm like, whoa, that was incredible. And every night and every morning, I'd end up find, spending a ton of time on Twitter. I love the news. I'm fascinated by the circus that is our news. And I just read it, read it, read it, read it. And I'm consumed. And, then, and I listen to podcasts to and from work. And I'm like, oh my goodness. 
as a pastor, as someone who works at the church, I mean, my whole life is doing God stuff. And yet hours upon hours upon hours, my brain is being shaped by all sorts of things. And if I'm unreflective in, in that, my, my whole worldview is actually being conformed, right? And scripture says, no, 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 don't be conformed. Do not do those things, but be transformed. And I love this idea of being transformed. It's an invitation from God. It's not an invitation to white knuckle a version of Christianity where you behave well. If you behave well, then you're done. That is not the picture. It's this idea of being transformed. Our mission statement, right? Our vision statement is that we move towards Christ. We're always in this posture of moving towards Christ. And uh, you have to know that this last week, it was this last couple weeks, I just had some incredible meetings. I've had probably a dozen meetings with people ranging from college kids all the way to 80-year-olds. Like that was my, that was the spectrum of people I got to meet over the last couple weeks. And without fail, every single appointment from people in our church were people who were sitting down wrestling with, what does it mean to know and love God in this season? Like I'm meeting with an 80-year-old, someone who's known Jesus longer than I'm alive. I've been alive. And they're in this moment wrestling with how to be transformed by Christ. How does it mean as a grandparent of teenagers to love them in a way for Christ, to deal with some of their own sin and brokenness and baggage from their family of origin? I'm like, oh my gosh, I thought I'd be done with all of that by, by the time I'm 80. But no, at 80, still working it out. And I cannot believe that we are part of a church where we have such a number of significant people who are continually working out their walk with God. And if we are going to live into this freedom, if we're going to be the free people that God's long for us to be, then we have to be people who are developing our heart for God. And what's so great is if you're not sure how to do that, there's a good chance that the person sitting to the left or the right or in front or behind you is part of this grouping of saints of Marine Covenant Church who are working it out all the way into their 80s all the way in their life of college, are working it out. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we have to do. Because if we don't do that, if we're not in a posture to be hurt, to hear from God, to be redeemed by God, to be healed by God, and to be used by God, then we are only getting this tiny little sliver of all that God has for us. So the first thing that we have to do is that we have to work hard to develop our heart for God. The second thing, if we want to live most freely into God, into all that God has for us, um, we need to do this next thing, which starts in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. This is not a word for our culture. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Everything about our culture is think of yourself more highly than you are, right? I mean, we're like in the self-esteem world, like you are the best. You're the most incredible. You are great. You're, you, you're so great. And yet here's scripture saying, no, 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 no. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And that the, there's this weird counterintuitive thing that if we're going to be free, if we're going to be all that God has made us to be, then we need to pause. And we need to recognize that most of us have an overinflated sense of self that we don't have the right view of who we really are. And we actually need to pause. And in part of our wrestling with God, have to be in a posture saying, okay, God, who am I really? What are you really doing with me? And the truth is that we have to recognize that each of us have the shadow self. Um, the old school, good old Christian people, right? It's our flesh, our sinful nature. There's a part of our being that does not conform to the will of God. Uh, I'm going to share about this picture in a quick second, but What's incredible is that we, right, in our context, we spend our whole life making sure we present ourselves really well on social media, right? We, we take pictures and we make sure they're cropped just right. I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. I'm super slow on the uptake when it comes to social media. So I'm like, oh, everyone's taking selfies. I'm going to take a selfie. So I go, Psh, 
And I post it and I get a couple likes and they're like, well, you know, because people are generous, like, oh, poor Ben. So they like my pictures. And I'm like, why does everybody have such great selfies? And it turns out because most people, right? Not most, not you, but other people will spend like, they'll do 20 selfies. And then they'll take the best of their 20 selfies and then they'll put the right filter on it. And then they'll have some great little pithy statement that they've worked on for an hour. And then they post it and they get all these likes. And you're like, yes, I'm affirmed. Look at me, I'm so great. Oh, I'm old, like I said. And so this picture, it's not a selfie. This is a picture because we're part of the old school. We do Christmas cards. Does anyone do Christmas cards anymore? Yeah, old school. Killing rainforest trees, right? We take, a, we take a family photo, we write a little letter, and we send it off to our friends and family, right? But the truth is, it's just the old school Instagram. It's a picture that gets to brag to all of our friends and family, like, check out how great our family is. And look at this picture. Is this a great looking family? The best. I know. You should be so proud of me and this picture and my family. But I picked this picture because if you look closely, look at my eyeballs. They're dead eyeballs. The smile says it's Christmas time. The eyeballs say, I hate my family. <laughs> because I had 45 minutes between meetings. And because we were procrastinating, if you're doing Christmas cards and letters, you know, you got to be doing this thing at Thanksgiving if they're going to be out in time. And so I had 45 minutes to get, to get this picture done so the next day we could get them printed so by the weekend we could send them out. Like, that was it. I was between meetings. And I come home. Okay, kids. Put on a good show, good, on, good face, because we're going to have a moment to present to the world. And of course, my kids are like crying and they got like, you know, they have food in their teeth. And so I'm yelling at them. And Kay and I had a different vision of what the picture was going to be. And so I'm like, we're doing this. And she's like, no, we're doing this. And I'm like, oh, and like, it was not my best moment for sure. So we do this little pose. This was Kay's idea. It was a perfect pose. It's a beautiful picture. But I am so pissed. I am so angry. I'm just like, this is the worst. And I tried to smile and everyone thankfully looks so nice. But if you see my eyeballs, it is just like, I hate this. <laughs> but if we're going to be free, we need to recognize most of our life is this. We present this image. And I, I hate when I hear this. People all the time, we're in covenant's nice and all, but everyone's so perfect. And I don't think I can fit in there because everyone's so perfect. And I know a lot of you guys, I'm like, no, they're not perfect. Trust me. <laughs> but but you, we do it. We, we show up for an hour and we present really well. We have a, a social media and we present really well. And we don't realize that in, unintentionally we're putting ourselves, you know, at an arm's length saying, listen, I do really well. And the worst part is, is sometimes we actually believe the hype that we're doing better than we really are. And so if we want to be truly free, we have to recognize that part of our shadow self is, this, that is believing the hype of what we present out there. Now, as a good Gen Xer, like I said, um, one, of, one of the guys, one of my muses is, uh, is Eminem. Um, I had this great clip, but it turned out there was a few too many F-bombs in the first five seconds of it, so I couldn't show it. Um, but this was a clip from uh, this movie, Eight Mile, which came out a long time ago. Um, and I'm going to horribly embarrass myself because I actually like country music and I don't know anything about hip hop culture, but I love this movie. And uh, at the end, there's these rap battles that are going on between Eminem and this group of guys. And I think this is how it works. But in this rap battle, basically the way it works is you have 90 seconds to just decimate the other person. You just put them down and you do everything you can to obliterate them. And so it's just this back and forth, just destruction. It's awesome. It's like, oh, so good. Kids don't watch too many F-words. Okay, so with that being said, this is going back and forth and back and forth. At the very end, um, he, he's going back like, like the most famous guy in this group of people. Eminem's going against him. And throughout the whole movie, you realize that Eminem, like, you know, he has this horrible upbringing. He lives in a trailer. He gets beat up by this, this, other, this rival gang. His life is just a total mess. And so he's getting ready to do this rap battle. And what he does is his, he takes his 90 seconds and he just fillets himself. 
He just puts out there for the whole world to see everything that anyone could ever make fun of him about. Anything that anyone could say to get the upper hand, he just puts it out there for the whole world to say. So when the other person's time to wrap, there's nothing for them to say. And I realize, oh my gosh, A, that's super brilliant. Because if, if you call out your deep and darkest stuff, then no, that has no power over you. And I've actually leveraged that, right? I mean, part of my whole deal is I love self-deprecating because I want to tell you something awful about me before you figure out something awful about me. So I'm going to put it out there ahead of time. But what's brutal is that's actually not a way to move towards freedom either. Because I try that with my wife all the time. We get in a big fight and I go, oh, you know me, I'm just a broken Gen Xer. And she's like, no, that does not fly here. Oh, you know, I'm just a sinful person. I can't help myself. No, that does not fly here, right? And so there's, there's part of us, we want to be free. We do need to own our shadow side. We do need to own the sin and rebellion and brokenness inside of us. But yet we don't do that in a way that lets us off the hook either. And that's a really hard thing because most of us kind of find ourselves in two camps. We put on a facade and we try to believe that facade or we put it all out there for the world to see. And then, but both of those ways don't lead towards transformation. Both of those things don't actually allow us to be the free, whole healed version that God longs for us to be. So the first thing we have to do is we have to have a heart that is soft towards God. The second, we have to be reflective. We have to own the garbage that is going on inside of us and actually not just identify it, but give it to Jesus and ask him to forgive us, to heal us, and to transform us. And once we do those things, we can begin to lean into all that God has for us. So let's continue in verse five. Sorry, verse four. For just as each of us... um, For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Um, Sorry, prophesy in the spirit. If it's faith, um, sorry, if it's service, then serving. If it's teaching, then teaching. If it's encouragement, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. See, the thing is, and we've talked about this a ton of times, right, that, that you're ne- uniquely gifted by God. You're uniquely crafted to do something in the body of Christ to expand the kingdom of God. There is something for you to do. And the truth is that you are not just a part of the body of Christ. You're not just like a little pinky. You are an incredible masterpiece, Right? And not like in a, in, a, in a fake self-esteem way, like, oh, you're so great. But like in a masterpiece, in a way that the, the master artist is slowly crafting this incredible, beautiful piece of art. And that is you. And we submit to God, say, God, continue to have your way with us. Continue to chisel away the part of me so that what's left is this beautiful sculpture that you long for me to be. I love this passage in, in Ephesians chapter two. It says this, for by grace you've been saved. Again, it's a reaction. It's a response to God's goodness and God's grace. Because of the grace we've been saved through faith, it's not from ourselves, it's a gift from God. We now live in this reality that we're his handiwork. One of the versions of scripture says, right, we're God's masterpiece. And we're created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so the question is, if we truly want to live in freedom, there's this internal reality, right? That Jesus dies for our sin. We're free from guilt and shame. So true. There's part of our identity that gets healed up because we're adopted into the family of God. We're free now because we are noble kids of the King, daughters and sons. Like that is your new identity. And the last thing, if you truly want to be free, is to figure out what God has made you uniquely to do and to lean into that and to run after it. 
And so I got such great feedback from my incredible graphic engineering skills from last sermon that I thought I would go one more time, use a, a Microsoft 98 and do a Venn diagram. So are you excited for this? Oh yeah, your world is about to get rocked. Okay. So here's the deal. How do you figure out what is it that God has uniquely crafted you to do? All right, check out this Venn diagram I made. First circle, your personality. Ah, oh, yeah, is that captivating? I know. You're like, blue on blue. I know, I'm struggling here. But the thing we need to start with is recognize this, that each and every one of us are uniquely made by God. And we're uniquely planted in a unique family and we're born into a unique time. And all those things form our actual personalities. They form the way we understand the world. They form the way we see the world. They form the way we see ourselves. They actually form our personalities, the way in which we engage. And we live in a time where there's so many resources, right, to figure out how am I wired? What, 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 you know, how do I understand my personality? Whether it's the disc or the colors or the, the animals that have like one of them is like a walrus, I think. I don't understand that one. Um, the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, right? There's like, there's so many tools out there that, we, that you can do these tools. And so you don't even need like to go off into the desert like the old guys did and like listen from God. That you can just take a test online and go, oh my goodness, like I'm intuitive. I never knew that. Oh, I'm an introvert. That explains some stuff, right? Like, like it helps you. And so, and so your personality, your DNA, the family of, of origin, this moment of time, all that comes together and plays a major role in what God has made you to do. I don't get to play basketball because my dad is a 5'6 Jewish guy, right? I will never get to do that. There's something I, gotta, I have to pay attention to that important data point, right? I'm intuitive. I'm an introvert. I got to pay attention to those data points. So I have my personality. The second is, what are you passionate about? There's certain things that capture your attention. There's certain things that you just cannot get enough of when you're online. I know some of you like love Pinterest, but even the things you look at on Pinterest, like there's a certain thing that you cannot get enough of. Ben Z, who's our high school director, guy, he loves to sleep. But there's two things that he will give up sleep for playing his guitar on a Sunday morning and snowboarding. And like the, the, a couple weeks ago, we went snowboarding together. I'm like, oh, geez, Ben, we're going to leave at five. And I'm like, I was kind of worried. Are you going to be able to do this thing? And at 4.50, he's like, let's go. He's ready to go. Right? Because, and so you have to pay attention. There's things that we're passionate about. And we need to pay attention about what those things are. And so on your, on your, on your notes, you should start kind of writing these things down. These are things that I know about my personality. These are things that I'm passionate about. And start paying attention about what those things are. And then the last thing, and this is the part that I've always struggled with the most, but there are things that you are good at and there's things that you're not good at. And we live in a context where just because you're passionate about something, we feel like, oh, you're really passionate about it, then therefore you should do that. But there's this awful thing that, that it, it matters what you're good at as well. And so you need to recognize what are you uniquely good at? There are people in our congregation who are good at things that I didn't even know existed on the planet. There's things that I don't even know the first thing about and they talk about it like they're breathing, like it's so incredible to them. You are uniquely gifted by God with certain gifts, certain abilities, and you need to pay attention for what those are. And so what's interesting is you take your personality and you take your passions and you take your proficiencies and you put them all together, then in the center of that is a Venn diagram and that is the thing that God has uniquely called you to do. And here's what's so cool, because you're made in the image of God, even if you could care less about God, you're made in his image. And if you do those things, if you figure out your personality, you figure out your passions, you figure out what you're good at, and you live into that, you are going to live such a joy-filled life. You're going to be blown away. 
But if you're someone who is moving towards Christ, if you're someone who wants to surrender more and more their life to Christ, right, then all of a sudden you, you have this unique personality. But then all of a sudden, instead of going, this is just my personality, deal with it, you say, okay, God, here's my personality. Here's my family of origin. Here's where, the moment I've been born into. How can you heal me and redeem me and not just live in the shadow side of my personality, but actually live in the most healed version of that? Okay, God, what if I take my passions and the things that I love, but put that through the filter of what would it be like to leverage my passion for the kingdom of God and see, God, what are you uniquely wanting to do with the things that I love for the kingdom of God? And here's the stuff that I'm good at. It just, I mean, it's just stuff that I'm good at. But if all of a sudden you say, okay, God, on top of the things I'm good at, I've actually been gifted by the Holy Spirit in a supernatural way. I've been given things that for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden your calling, which isn't just your, your best work-life balance, is a thing that God actually made you to do to be part of the body of Christ. And what's so crazy is every single one of us in this room, every single human being on planet Earth has a different center of that Venn diagram. And the kingdom of God expands and all the good news of God gets expanded when all of us live most fully into our unique calling. Because we're humans and we're, I guess we're, you know, we're, we're like a tribe animal that we only want, we want everyone to be like us or we want to be like everybody else. And we end up giving away so much of who we really are because we're trying to be like somebody else or we're trying to make someone else like us as opposed to finding such joy and satisfaction when other people become who they are. And so as we wrap up um, this series here, and we, this idea, our prayer is that you would just be free that you would be free, that you would recognize that you are part of a, of a collective group of people who know and love God, who are trying to wrestle with what does it mean to live into the center of that Venn diagram. It doesn't matter if you're in middle school or in college or if you're 80. Every single person who is moving towards Christ is trying to figure out what the center of that Venn diagram is. And when you figure that out, you get to be such a gift to the kingdom of God. Now, for me, I've, I've spent a ton of time trying to wrestle with what in the world does that mean for me? I've always wrestled with, man, I have such a weird personality and the things that I like don't seem to fit. And, and so what is the unique thing that God has made me to do? And on sabbatical, I actually did an exercise where I walked through all those things. I just thought I would share them with you, because um, I'm preaching out of the microphone, so you have to just sit and listen to it. Um, but it'd give you a little insight into me. But it's interesting, too, how just a unique uh, accumulation of all these little parts of my Venn diagram is how, like, why I'm kind of the weird and strange pastor that I am. So the, one of the things was this. That I, so these are seven st statements that I, that I came up with in, through this little process. One, that I'm uniquely made by God and I must not be tamed. Now, I know I wear, like, grays and blues, like, I, but, like, internally, I'm like a wild animal, so that's important for me. Um, I'm irreverent. I'm earthy. And I will not put up with beep. Um, that's for the church world. Uh, two, I love Jesus and the church, and I'm going to serve both of them with all of my might. Three, I'm going to make a new heritage for my family, a new marriage. I'm going to reflect my heavenly father to my children and set my family on a new trajectory. Right, so I look at my personality and like, well, this is the thing that God has called me to do. One of my goals and values is recognizing that transformation is the goal. Stagnation is death, redemption is a gift, and my past is not going to determine my future. One of the things I realized that I didn't realize was unique to me, but I actually value hard work, and I want to work hard along others. Work is noble, and we only have one life to live, and I want to get after it with all of my being. When I looked at my uh, passions and my gifts, 
I want to use my critical thinking and strategic gifts to help the church navigate this changing culture. So what I thought was an obsession with news and Twitter actually turned out the, the core of that was wanting to leverage my understanding and passion for that for the church to navigate this moment that we're in. And I realized that I'm most alive when I get to develop leaders. Empowering, coaching, and celebrating the next generation of leaders is my bread and butter. And over the years, I realized when I look back at all the things that God's affirmed and the, the path that I've been on, one of the things that God's uniquely crafted me to do is to walk alongside people to help them figure out the center of their Venn diagram. And so if you feel like that is like this nebulous idea and you're like, what does that mean for me? I have nothing better to do in my life and my job than to hang out with you and to walk through this together. So if you would like someone to walk through this, I have a couple little tricks and tools and some conversation and through the discernment of the Holy Spirit to begin to circle around what may be the unique thing that God has crafted you to do. I would love nothing better than to make some space. I know even if you're old, you're not the next generation, I'll, I'll make an exception for some of you old guys, okay? Um, because it turns out no matter anyone's age, no matter who you are, no matter what age, no matter what your background is, if you are someone who's moving towards Christ, if you are someone who wants to leverage your unique moment to be an incredible part of the body of Christ for the expansion of the kingdom of God, man, then you are in the right place and I got nothing but time to hang out with you. So with all that being said, would you stand? Let me pray for us and we'll spend a little time in worship and we'll wrap up our time this morning. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, I thank you that you are so generous to me. You are so generous to us. You just ooze love and grace and mercy. And slowly but surely we recognize that and we respond to that. And slowly but surely we're willing to reflect and do the hard work of what in the world is going on and what's going wrong with us. And we ask for your forgiveness and your grace. And as we wrestle with you and as we work out our salvation and as we work out what it means to be living these transformed lives, mostly God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me individually, with us corporately, that we would be people who would be mesmerized by the process of figuring out the unique ways in which you've made us illuminate our path, clarify what you've called us to do and who to be so that we can be fully functioning parts of the body of Christ. So the kingdom of heaven would be made visible here on earth through your people. It is for freedom that we've been set free. So God, may we not go back to our bondage of slavery, but may we be fully free. We love you, Jesus. Hear our worship.